Seated. As I journey through the land, singing as I go, pointing souls to Calvary, to the crimps of flow, many arrows pierce my soul from without within, but my Lord leads me on, through him I must win, oh I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of His saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. When before me billows rise from the mighty deep, then my Lord directs my bark, he to safely keep. And he leads me gently on through this world below. He's a real friend to me, oh, I love him so. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past. Home at last, ever to rejoice. Cares all past. Home at last, ever to rejoice. It's base time. We got to do that course again, fellas, because something's missing right now. I can tell that right now. Something's missing. Let's start with that second verse, Brother Cody. Go ahead. All right. When before me billows rise from the mighty deep, right. then my Lord directs my bark, he to safely keep. Yeah. And he leads me gently on through this world below. He's a real friend to me. Oh, I love him so. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. 
cares all past. Home at last, ever to rejoice. I knew something was missing. I could feel it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, Brother Joe in the front, he was enjoying that bass thing, wasn't you, Joe? But I see, when, when, when yeah, I, I know, that's the problem. See, Brother Joe came to me a few weeks ago and he said, Brother, it's sure good to know there's a real bass singer in the church now. When my son-in-law came back to the church. And I said, I've been here all along. Uh, okay, Joe, see, see, buddy, see, I tell you, you got to watch it there. Make you eat your words, right? Oh, all right, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Oh, man. A mom was out walking with her four-year-old daughter when her girl picked up something from the ground, and she, you know, like every kid, started putting it in her mouth. Mom immediately took the item from her daughter, and she said, Don't do that. The little girl looked up and said, Well, why? Why, Mommy? Why not? Well, because it's been lying outside. You don't know where it's been. It's dirty. It probably has germs all over it. The little girl looked at her mommy with just like, wow. Wow, how do you know all this stuff? And she thought real quick, and she just said to her daughter, she said, you know, all moms know this stuff. It's on the mommy test. You have to know it or they don't let you be a mommy. They walked along a little bit longer, and finally the little girl looked up and said, Oh, I get it. So if you don't pass the test, you have to be the daddy. <laughs> and her mommy simply smiled and said, Exactly. That's a true story, by the way. Yep. All right, Deuteronomy. It is. They that's what they said. Yeah, told me. I, I just read it. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. And it came to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Right off the bat, Moses in this particular passage is pointing out the very positive aspect of if, if. He says, if thou shalt hearken diligently. Again, notice that big if right there. Now, this is a conditional covenant. We have been through the Bible. If you've been through the Word of God, you recognize that God makes covenants with certain people and even a nation, and now this nation. There is an aspect of this covenant that is conditional. And God is basically saying, listen, if you're going to be blessed, then you have to obey. In verses 3 through 6, chapter 28, he goes on to say, Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shalt thou be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be the blanket 
of thy store, basket of thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. Man, I mean to tell you, the blessings are going to abound here if thou shalt hearken diligently. Now look at chapter 28, verse 15. Now he goes to or returns to the curses. Hold on now. They all rest upon this matter of if again. Notice Deuteronomy 28, 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Again, we're noting this condition. The if condition. If you hearken diligently, blessing. If you fail to hearken, curses. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Bible addresses the future of Israel. Moses pronounces this conditional promise or a conditional portion of the covenant and the people of Israel would be blessed if they obey God. We note this. Their disobedience would bring curses. But hold on. The scriptures here point out that Israel is going to be removed from their land three times. And then they're going to be regathered into their land three times. So chapter 28 is a prophetic chapter. It shares with us the future of Israel. There are three prophecies of their dispossession of the land. Those have all been fulfilled, by the way. And there are three prophecies in this passage of their restoration. Only two have been fulfilled. And Israel's third return to the land is yet future. So there are three dispossessions of the land and there are three regatherings of Israel to their land. You say, well, where are they in the passage? Well, look at chapter 15, verse 13. We see them being dispossessed of the land. Remember, they are there in their land. The Abraham has made his way there to the land of Canaan, but now they're going to find themselves where? In Egypt, removed from the land. The first of these, again, notice Abraham he says, in, excuse me, I, I, I said Genesis, didn't I? I? I probably didn't, but anyway, it's Genesis 15, I'll just read it. Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. We see that in Genesis 15, 13, and verse 16 as well. So they go down into Egypt, and they spend 430 years in Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt now. So they're in Canaan, now they go into Egypt, they're dispossessed of their land, now they are regathered back into their promised land. We see that taking place literally right before our eyes here in chapter 28, they're making their way to the promised land. We know that in the book of Joshua, they will actually find their way into the promised land. In the book of Judges, they'll be established in the, book, in the land as well. So there's a literal fulfillment of this. We see also... Another dispossession. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 again, verse 28, we read here in verse 34, it says, 30, excuse me, 32, it says, 
Thy sons and thy daughters shall be given unto another people, and thine eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in thine, in thine hand. The fruit of thy hand and all thy labor shall a nation which thou knowest not eat up, and thou shalt be only oppressed and crushed always, so that thou shalt be mad for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see. Again, now we're seeing a prophetic view here of Israel. He's been told already that if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you don't obey, you'll be cursed. And God begins to share with them three dispossessions, three times that they'll be in their land and then they'll be out of their land. But then three times they'll come back to it. We've seen the first one. They went into Egypt. They came back as a nation now in the land. But now we're going to see the Babylonian captivity. They're going to be dispossessed of their, their land again. They're going to go from being a land of milk and honey to now being uh, bound and enslaved, so to speak, and occupied by the Babylonians and taken off to those nations. And in this particular case, he says, Thy daughter shall be given to another people, and I shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in thine hand. He even goes on here. He says, So that thou shalt be mad for the sight of thine eyes, which thou shalt see. Well, we know that the last king that was uh, on the throne, Zedekiah, he saw his children literally killed right before his very eyes. And then he was blinded by the enemy and then carried away off to Babylon. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 35 and through 37, we read, The Lord shall smite thee in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed for the sole of thy foot unto the top of thy head. The Lord shall bring thee and thy king, which thou shalt set over thee, unto a nation which neither thou nor thy fathers have known. And there shalt thou serve other gods, wood and stone. And thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, a byword among the, all nations, whither the Lord shall lead thee. Again, we're referring to, and it's pointing to, prophesying the Babylonian captivity. Even before Israel found their way into the promised land at all, out of Egypt, he was already telling them the second time they're going to dispossess their land. So why did all this happen? We still have a third one, we know, but why is this happening? Why Babylonian captivity? Why being dispossessed of their land? It's because of their rebellion. It's because of their disobedience. God gave them the ifs, if you will. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be put out of the land. This is what I can guarantee will happen if you fail to obey. Israel was regathered from the Babylonian captivity. Their return to the land is recorded in Ezra and Nehemiah. We see the prophets Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi telling of their return of the land to the land. Again, this is the second prophecy concerning their return to the land. But there's a third one. We know that even after they return to the land, after coming out of captivity, we know sadly enough that eventually they would be occupied and controlled by Rome again and ultimately scattered throughout the entire world. We're seeing them being regathered now, of course. We're seeing a nation as of the 1950s come together and now they're starting, they're making their way to their nation, but still that is not complete. It's not total fulfillment yet. But it says in Deuteronomy 28, 48, Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in one of all things, and he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until, ye have destroyed, until he have destroyed thee. 
The historian Josephus tells about the coming of the Romans under Titus. And we see Rome, known as the Iron Kingdom, fulfilling this particular prediction. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck. Verse 49 says, The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle fly, the nation whose tongue shall not, uh, thou, thou shalt not understand. One could say, well, that was the Chaldeans, and to some degree I could understand why you'd say that, but remember this as well. It's interesting to note that Rome carried banners bearing the emblem of an eagle. Also, Rome came all the way from the west. They spoke a language that was entirely different than Hebrew. And in verse 53 of Deuteronomy 28, And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee. Again, Josephus, this, this historian, says that mothers were forced to give up their babies. Their babies were eaten to sustain life. There in that city of Jerusalem, as the, 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 the Romans came upon the Jews... They were so starved and so thirsty that they did things that were, in our minds, almost inhumane, just hard to even imagine. The people died. Their corpses were literally collected inside the city. They had to throw them over the walls of the city. And that prophecy was fulfilled. So we have three times that Israel is removed from their land. And two times they have returned. They have yet to return. And yet, this, this last time. But when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, they'll have been gathered together, and God will begin to deal with Israel again. But Deuteronomy chapter 28 gives us this prophecy. Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells us about the future of Israel before it ever happened. And as we look back now, we see evidence and we see them being fulfilled, these prophecies. Again, why? Why are they dispossessed of their land? Why do they lose their land? How come they're removed from their land? A land that flowed with milk and honey, a land that God had promised them, a land of wonder. It was because of their disobedience. God had given them some ifs. If you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you will be put out of the land. Now again, Deuteronomy chapter 28 is dealing with Israel. The nation of Israel is a very special nation, is it not? Without a doubt it is. It is the bride of God, the Bible says. The church is the bride of Christ, but Israel is the bride of God. And even though this is the case, those ifs were in place. Even though God had a special place for Israel, there was still a condition on his blessing, if you will hearken. Israel, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be put out of the land. Well, we live in America. We live in a nation that was founded upon Christian principles. In God we trust is currently on our currency. And I pray it continues to remain there. But the fact that it's there only reinforces the fact that the Bible 
and Christianity were undeniably influential in our nation's founding and in its prosperity. Tragically, like Israel, we have chosen to rebel against God and His authority and instead to worship other gods. Gods of self, of sports, of sensuality, even spirituality. Gods created in our own minds. Gods that adhere to our standards as we define them. While the God of the Bible is neglected and increasingly detested. As a nation, we've discarded the Bible. We have dethroned God and we have discredited biblical faith. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, and put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. As a nation, this is the battle cry of so many today. And we have noted so many things in our recent history that are extremely alarming to believers. I want to have a quick word of prayer, and we're going to talk just a little bit about this simple thought. Why would we be any different? Why would we be any different? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd bless the service, be with the preaching. Lord, may you just work in our lives. We're praying and begging you, Lord, just to fill us with your spirit. I pray you'd fill me. Lord, may you just be my, be, be fill me with your spirit, that I might be your mouthpiece, stand in my shoes, that... Father, it might be you that's seen and not me. God, I have nothing to give this thy people except you give it to me first. Speak through me. Lord, be, let me be a vessel of honor in your hand today. And Lord, may you just bless the people of God and may you speak to their hearts as well. Oh God, help us to realize, Lord, that your blessings are conditional. That we cannot take them for granted. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. As a nation, again, this is a battle cry. This idea of calling evil good and good evil, putting darkness for light and light for darkness, putting bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It seems today that that seems to almost be the agenda of so many in our country. We note this in the recent months concerning abortion. Anti, we, we say abortion and we link it with pro-choice. They promote it as saving lives when it is all about death. It's amazing. Saving lives. Saving lives. I saw one uh, person say that 22,000 people's lives will be saved. Or will be lost, I should say, as a result of this row-way decision. Really? How many millions have been lost? And furthermore, I guarantee you 22,000 will not be lost in the next year. That's ridiculous. Indiana State Legislature, they've become the first in the United States to pass new legislation restricting access to abortions since the federal Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Now, contrary to the media's characterization of the bill, it does not ban all abortion. They want you to believe somehow that it bans abortion. It limits abortion. So they're still going to allow abortions. They're just going to limit it. Now, the ACLU in Indiana calls this bill cruel, 
and unconscionable. What, a bill that's going to save lives is cruel and unconscionable. Matter of fact, they say, Hoosiers still have rights. Really. In advocating against the bill, Representative Ann Vermillion condemned her fellow Republicans for calling women who obtained abortions murderers. I think that the Lord's promise is for grace and kindness, she said. He would not be jumping to condemn these women. you, You know what? You want to know what the knee-jerk reaction to that is? Well, you do need to be kind. You need to be careful. You don't want to offend nobody, and you can't win them if you get them upset with you. Let me ask you, what is killing a baby? I'm sure Jesus would say, it's all right, ladies, do whatever you choose. It's your body. Is that what the Bible teaches? Uh, And we're not getting too many feedback here. And I know this is not a popular message today, and I knew it wouldn't be. And I'm going to tell you, it's a message that needs preached around this world and country. Because I'm telling you, we have discredited God and we have discarded the Bible. And friend, even believers today have bought into the lies of Satan. Matthew 18, 6 says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that there were drowned uh, and that he were drowned in the depths of the depth of the sea no if simply offending a little one brings such indignation from god how much more those who kill them he said you know i don't i don't like this kind of preaching yeah i don't either but let me tell you something you look at israel and where that ended up they were removed out of their land They were removed out of their land. Honestly, are are we to believe that we would be any different? Women groups are, quote, demanding that they are seen as equal. What's that mean? Seen as equal? This is abortion. We're not talking, what, what, what is that? They're saying that young women are being stripped of their status of full human rights. So it's a right of a human to murder and to kill. I didn't know that was a right that we had. Till recently, not just an abortion, but sadly enough, too many times even in our world that we live in today, it seems like depending on what side of the coin you land on politically, you have a right to do what you choose. There's signs that say forced pregnancy, forced poverty. That's right, we're forcing people to get pregnant. Yeah, that's right. We're forcing it. We want you to be in poverty. No, I didn't make that. I'm not saying that. Sign, abortion saves lives. Signs, abortion saves lives. I'm driving down the road, and I, back when this decision first came out, and I see ladies and men both standing there with their little signs, abortion saves lives. Abortion saves lives. Really? We live in a culture and a society that has redefined many fundamental aspects of life and liberty. We have redefined the family today. Back when her husband was president, Hillary Clinton emphasized and publicized, it takes a village to raise our children. It takes a village. The attack on the home was now in full swing. 
You say, well, there, that's a good thing. We need a, we need a village. We need the community to support. Wait a second. What she was doing was deflecting from the home, though. De-emphasizing the need for strong homes. You want to talk about a problem in America? Let's talk about the home. Let's talk about the breakdown of the home. Let's stop pretending that all these issues are economic issues. They are not. They are moral issues, and they are biblical issues. Sadly, many of our, uh, sadly, I mean, <laughs> the attacks on the home, I mean, really are out of control. She, along with her other cronies, decided it was time to redefine what the family was. It's not just a mom and a dad and family anymore, although we understand that there are situations where that isn't the case. But friend, to deflect from that is not a good trend, and it's not going in the right direction. And they had made up their mind they were not going to go that way anymore. We're done with a traditional style of family. We're done with a biblical foundation of family, and we're just going to go ahead and redefine it. It needn't be a husband and a wife any longer, but could be anyone who you reside with and depend upon. The traditional family unit wasn't inclusive enough for those whose policies and morality promoted single-parent homes. There's a political agenda to keep people single. There's a political agenda to keep them in a place where they're dependent upon government. And that is bound to happen when they're not promoting family. Then came the full assault on marriage. Remember, if, if marriage is a God-ordained institution that Satan despises. Satan hates marriage, at least biblical marriage. Sadly, many of our politicians, government leaders, and political figures do as well, it seems. Marriage is biblical. It's traditional. It's a traditional union between men, a man, and a woman. That has been defined over the last, that has been redefined over the last few decades. More than ever before, it's been redefined. The union between those of the same sex is considered a progressive and positive step in our evolution as a society, even though God views it as an abomination. Do you view it as an abomination? Well, you know, everybody has a right to happiness. No, they have a right to pursue, according to our Constitution. And truthfully, biblically, none of us have a right to anything but hell. Amen. Amen. I came to church today to be encouraged. I'm trying to help you because I'm telling you the if is still in place. We're getting so far away from a biblical foundation of truth today that even believers are falling prey to it. I mean, but then again, who cares what... Who cares about God's opinion, right? I mean, think about it. If someone doesn't care what God thinks, do you really believe they're going to care what you think? Well, we don't really believe. Who cares what you think? I mean, if they don't even believe, care what God thinks, they're not going to care what anybody else believes. And we are seeing that today, aren't we? If. We've redefined gender today. With LGBTQ plus, 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 goes on infinitely. Hey, by the way, God made them male and female, but we have redefined gender today. I mean, gender identity is the gender with which a person identifies. A person's deep-seated internal sense of who they are as a gendered being. Hmm. How about maybe your agender today? 
you do not identify as having male or female gender identity. Maybe you are erogenous. You view yourself as a combination of masculine and feminine traits. Maybe you're bi-gender. You experience gender identity as two genders at the same time. Maybe you're gender fluid, someone who, whose gender identity or expression shifts between man, masculine, and female, feminine, or falls somewhere in this range. Maybe you're gender queer, someone whose gender identity is neither male nor female, is between or beyond genders, or is some combination of genders. Possibly you are LGBTQ or something. You're lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe that's you. I mean, this transgender thing, it just seems to be off the charts today. Uh, they tell us now, I just read an article that says uh, it is not a contagion aspect of it. It's not just simply because it's being forced and pushed and promoted on our young people. That's not why so many of them are claiming transgenderism. It's because it's just been that way forever. Oh, yeah, right, whatever. The battle concerning oh, transgender. Your gender identity does not match the sex you were assigned at birth. See, the difference between your sex and your gender now, have, they've, defined, they've redefined it again. It's not one thing anymore. You used to be born a certain sex. That was your gender. Now it's sex and now gender. You get to decide and determine who and what you are based on how you feel, how your experiences of life have gone. Your disappointments, your, 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 your advances in life, your failures in life. You get to decide, well, today I feel this way, tomorrow I feel this way, it's okay, it doesn't matter. No one has a right to tell you that there's any real standard. The battle concerning transgenderism participating, uh, in, uh, transgenders participating in women's sports dominated the headlines a few months back. Whether boys identifying as girls could use girls' restrooms in schools or in public places has also been the topic of much debate. By the way, I'm just going to let you know this just so you know. I want you to understand something. The World Health Organization declared the monkeypox outbreak a global health emergency. It's a global health emergency. Hold on now. Let me finish. To date, there are 26,500 cases worldwide. 7,000 of those cases, over 7,000 are in the United States as of August the 4th. You say, man, that's crazy. We've got, we've got one-fourth almost. We've almost one-fourth in just the United States. By the way, there's at least 10 deaths worldwide as of August the 2nd. Worldwide global health emergency. By the way, again, about, get this, about 99% of the cases of monkeypox are among men. But it's a world health problem. 99%. There's 26,500 in the world, and there's over 7,000 in the United States. There's been 10 deaths as of, of, of the 4th of August, and 99% are men, and at least 95% of those men are involved in relationships with other men. According to the World Health Organization official, Rosamond Lewis. This isn't something I read in some Christian uh, paper. This is what in the World Health Organization says 95% are because of the wrong kind of relationship, an unbiblical, unscriptural relationship. If, if, if 
it's interesting to me, and I'm just going to throw it out, our government was willing to lock down the economy and obliterate our rights over the coronavirus. But they're unwilling to tell so-called sodomites, who are such a small percentage of our national makeup, to cease engaging in immoral behavior. So we're, gonna, we're just going to terrify the rest of the world over a small percentage that could be fixed overnight. Tell me there aren't agendas at work. It's political. You tell me it's not. And it's not just United States. By the way, you say, why the United States so much? Because we promote that kind of relationship in America. And as a result, we have more of it now than ever. Than any other nation on the face of the earth. If you hearken. If you don't, our leaders are in the business of redefining terms in order to reshape norms and undermine traditional values. Terms that just 20 years ago were understood and agreed upon by most all are being manipulated and mutilated to make way for liberal and progressive agendas, moving the old landmarks. They want to remove the old landmarks. Proverbs 28 says, Remove not the ancient landmark for thy fathers have set, that thy fathers have set. Don't move those things. We keep moving the ancient landmarks. We take the Bible and we're just burying it under every other book and how-to book in America. We think we have a better way than God's way. If you hearken unto me, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed and you'll be removed from your land. That was written to Israel. I know, but... Why should we be any different? We're not even at the status of Israel in God's eyes. We're just another nation. We've redefined terms like patriot and democracy, liberty, free speech, peaceful protest. Sadly, we've redefined the word Christianity today. Again, they're being redefined, and that is a very dangerous game to play. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil and that put darkness for light and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We are redefining that which is evil and calling it good today. We're redefining that which is good and calling it evil. And you know the interesting thing is they have no shame. In the book of Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 15 the Bible says, Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay. They were not all ashamed, at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. What a commentary concerning our present day leaders, culture, and society in which we live. Neither can they blush. We have no shame today. Let's be honest, even in Christianity, we do things that we'd have never dreamed of doing 50, 75 years ago. We don't blush about it, we're not even concerned about it. I mean, God's a God of love, right? God's a God of grace. And grace is our license to live and to choose how we live and to do whatever we want. Again, why did God remove Israel from the land? It was because of their disobedience. Again, he had given them some ifs. If you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be put out of the land. Again, God was dealing with his nation, Israel, a nation very special to him. Sadly, our nation as a whole has discarded the Bible and dethroned God. We've chosen to rebel against His authority, and we worship other gods. We will all agree with that. So, here's some questions. 
What can we expect if we continue on this path? Do you think that God is obligated to treat us better than He did His own nation, Israel? Are we to believe that we are the exception to the rule? Can we continue in sin and expect God to overlook it after all that He's done to establish our nation and prosper it through the years? Can we dismiss the possibility that we too could be overrun or taken over by another nation in the future if we continue on this path? Can we hope to escape captivity if we disobey God as a nation? I want you to think about it for a minute because I think sometimes that we fail to think. I don't think we give any consideration to issues. We look at what's going on around us and we don't think about the ramifications and the potential future harm that it's causing. We say, well, then things will be different. It's like our economy. Okay, so we got a few rough years ahead, but hopefully some things will change in the next few years that'll take and turn us around. And we say, you know, the market always drops, but it always comes back. And you know what? So far that seems to be the case. But friend, when it comes to morality and it comes to the things of God, are we really that confident that God will continue to give us a pass and exhibit His grace without His consequences? I'm telling you, I'm concerned. Because if Israel had the if, i got to believe we do too as a nation. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be put out of the land. Why would we be any different than Israel, God's chosen people? But we have hope, don't we? Turn, if you would, again to 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14. say, man, we come to church, we want to be encouraged. Well, I'm going to encourage you then. But I'm telling you, the problem is today is that people are like, well, we hate these stupid Baptist churches because they preach fire and brimstone. No, they don't. When's the last time you've been in a Baptist church that preached on hell? When's the last time you've been in a church that ripped on sodomy, that really tore into sin? No, you say, this church? No, we don't really tear into it. We don't do the justice it probably needs done. We don't bring awareness to our sinfulness and our sin the way God and the prophets did of old. And can I tell you, it has led to the state that we are presently in, in America and in our church houses. We've all gotten to the place where we're somewhat comfortable with our sinfulness. Where we just take for granted that God will forgive us and overlook it. We don't repent anymore, we just confess it. We just say we've sinned, we don't turn from it though. It's one thing, oh I admit I I don't read my Bible. Well good for you, but that means nothing to God if we don't say I'm changing it. With God's help I'm going to do something about it. We're so quick to admit our weaknesses. Yeah, I have this sin that I've struggled with in my life. So have you repented of it? Well, you know, do you even want to? Well, I keep confessing it, but do you want to forsake it? Let's be honest, so many times we're holding on to our sin and we're condoning it in our own minds and we just keep relying on this grace because let's face it, God, I'm his child and he's promised to forgive me if I ask him. Yeah, but you got to wonder and ask yourself, when we ask God to forgive us of our sin, do you think it has, that, that our attitude in that request plays any role at all? 
mean your child says, I'm sorry for not taking out the trash, Dad. Okay, cool, next week. I'm sorry for not taking out the trash, Dad. Okay, I'm sorry for not taking out the trash, Dad. I didn't take out the trash this week, Dad, and I know I should have. Okay, this goes on for six months. Are you happy with his confessions? You're looking for some repentance and a change of action and attitude. Why do we expect anything less from God? We expect God to forgive us just because we ask. And just because we confess it, that's all that matters. And I know you're going to run to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friend, let's just not take one verse and make a doctrine out of it. Let's look at the whole passage and the rest of the book of 1 John and let's ask ourselves, do we measure up to God's standard of a professing Christian? That book will make you doubt your salvation if it hasn't already. And here we are, leaning on things that we know nothing about. We believe we do because we take a verse and we pull it out of context and we just say, well, I confessed it, I'm good to go. I'm so tired of young people telling me they're false but doing nothing about it. You're not impressing me when you tell me, you're right, I should have done that. So what are you going to do about it? You going to change it? Well, I'm going to do my best. That didn't sound like a repentant attitude. When's the last time you wept over your sin? When's the last time you came to an altar or possibly got at your seat or, or maybe even went home in your bedroom or closed the door in your closet and you said, Oh God, oh God, I'm a sinner. I'm so wretched and so vile. How in the world did Israel end up where they did? Because they disobeyed God. <laughs> Eventually they were out of their land. Three times, and they have yet to return this last one. Look at 2 Chronicles 7, 14, you're there. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I'm so glad to tell you today that there's hope for us. There's hope for our churches. There's hope for our nation. In my opinion, there's hope for the world. Oh, I know that the Satan is the god of this world, and I know that he is orchestrating everything that we're seeing take place in our country that's anti-Christ, that goes against the Word of God. I understand that. And it seems right now that there is a wave that is so high and so powerful and so strong that nobody can stop it. But my friend, the Holy Spirit's bigger, and so is God. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But he says to us today, you want that? Do you want me to do something miraculous? You want me to keep you in your land? You want me to prosper you? You want me to bless you? Then you obey me. You humble yourselves. You pray. You seek my face. You turn from your wicked ways. He said, I'm giving you the recipe, if you will, for hope, for a future as a nation, as a people. Humble yourselves. Admit your sin, your guilt before a holy, righteous God. Pray to me and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. And he promises to hear, from, hear our prayers and to forgive our sin and to heal our land if we hearken. If we hearken. But if we don't hearken, there's that if. As an individual, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, if you call, if you call, you'll be blessed. 
If you don't, you'll be cursed. You realize that? You realize and recognize and understand that if you fail to come to Jesus Christ the way the Bible defines and determines, if you fail to call upon the name of the Lord and confess and forsake your sin, you say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh Lord, I know I'm that sinner you died for. I know I need you. I cry out to you today and ask you to forgive me, save me, and come into my life. If. Blessing. If not. Curse. Spend an eternity separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire. If. And if you obey God in your life, your family, your relationships, you can expect God's blessing if you don't hearken. Why do we think we're the exception? Why will we convince ourselves that we do not have to do things God's way, but God is still obligated to bless us as though we are? How have we gotten there? And, and I'm going to tell you, I have gotten there in certain ways in my life. Maybe not to the degree that the world has. Maybe not to the degree that some others have that even name the name of Christ. But I've gotten there. I've allowed myself to be lulled to sleep a little bit. I've allowed myself to somehow believe that I can continue in certain things without letting God have control. I don't have to always obey God to a T. I just need to obey Him in the big things. And if a preacher can get to a place where he recognizes areas where he's not been as meticulous about obedience, maybe even you might have a few areas. How is it that we as believers can find ourselves tempted to fall into this trap of not hearkening and we believe that my life, my marriage, my home should be fine. God's obligated and responsible to take care of me. How in the world could it? He would never let that happen in my life. I'm a Christian. Israel was his nation. It was his bride, the Bible says. And yet three times in the book of Deuteronomy, the ifs went into effect. They failed to hearken, and they were removed. They dispossessed the land three times, and we're still waiting for them to return the third. Let's be honest. Why would we be any different? You say, what's the point of this message? I guess the point of the message is this. That as a nation, as believers, as a people of God, let's be aware of what's really happening around us. It is not a matter of econ economics, and it's not a matter of social change. It's a matter of sin and righteousness. It's a matter of God's word and God being an authority versus someone or, or something else being an authority. We are blessed today to have a constitution that provides protection for you and I to meet here. And there is no reason in this world why we should ever, ever not have to be able to, never be able to meet here. No government body can tell us we can't meet no, under no circumstance. No circumstance. That's what our Constitution says. And may I say that even coming through COVID, it's been proven that constitutionally they had no right to do what they did to those churches that remained open. So we have the law backing us, but more important, we have the lawgiver. 
And let me tell you, it's a blessing to live in a nation like that. But friend, don't think for a minute that China can't take us over. Don't think that Russia can't walk in and take over. Don't think that we're so safe today because we have oceans that separate us. This idea that we are immune to any curses is crazy. Our nation is a byproduct of our morality. We are losing ground quickly. We keep this up, there won't be any men to fight because everybody will be a woman. And I'm not trying to make light of women, not at all. I appreciate women and I think they should be held in high esteem. And I am so sick and tired of women's groups trying to say that the Bible demeans women. If anything, it gave them rights. In Paul's day, they were virtually just slaves. And Paul said, you go home to your wife and don't you go cheat on her over here in the, in the priesthood over here and say that you're doing things on behalf of God when in reality you've got a wife sitting at home. You treat her with respect. Your prayers won't even be answered unless your relationship with her is right. That's the, that's the kind of thing God did for ladies back then. He didn't put them under the thumb. He didn't put them under a foot. He's, he liberated wives in those days. And today we have a misunderstanding of what it means to be a woman and a man. We have redefined terms. We don't even know what marriage is anymore. Where are we going to go? Do we expect anything more, anything less than what Israel got? And as an individual, if you do not obey the Lord in this area of salvation, you will miss out. You'll skip heaven. You'll just be cast into the lake of fire. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You want to be God's child, you have to put your faith and trust in him. You have to believe on him. And the Bible says over here in the book of Revelation chapter 20, it simply says this. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Get your name in that book. And you get your name in that book by obeying God, by calling upon the name of the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Young person, are you sure that heaven's your home one day? Young adult, are you positive that you're going to go to heaven? Young man, young lady, maybe newly married, do you have that settled in your life? Middle-aged adult, what about it? How about senior citizen? You got it nailed down? If you hearken, blessing will come. If you don't, curses. May God help us to obey this book, to understand the severity of it, the necessity of it, and realize that we've got to quit messing around and start really thinking about where we are and where we're going. And we better open this mouth of ours and warn this generation that God is real and his word is true. If we don't, we'll have no one to blame but ourselves because we have the truth. We have the truth. Father, we come to you. Lord, we do need you. And Lord, today, we all operate under an element of ifs. I know, Lord, that our salvation is by grace through faith. There's no question about that. But if we want your blessing in our lives, we need to be obedient. Obedient always equals blessing. Father, as believers, may we choose to hearken. 
And Lord, there might be those in our midst that have yet to receive and accept Christ. And Lord, today, they need to hearken and obey your word by calling on the name of the Lord, being saved, trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, as a people, help us, Lord, to realize that we need to humble ourselves. We need to pray and to seek your face. God, we need you to do a supernatural work in our nation, in our churches, and in our lives and families. Father, help us now, we pray. Holy Spirit, you do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed.